So happy birthday, Palm Vista. God is good. God has planted this church, and we've had the, the, the privilege uh, to plant out another church, which is Sovereign Grace Church Miami that's meeting right now. So we're, we're rejoicing. Uh, God is, is, is moving forward, and, and, and the gospel is moving forward in the church. We're all called in Christ, and, but then we're conformed in community. So this is a day to celebrate that. And to that end, there's nothing better we can do to celebrate it than to study God's word, because it is God's word God's word that speaks to us. So please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read the text, but uh, uh, prior to reading that text, I'm going to give you a little understanding about this text. And the understanding about this text is as follows. This Thanksgiving in prayer, which you see here, the title of the message is Extraordinary Thanksgiving in prayer, extraordinary Thanksgiving in prayer. This Thanksgiving in prayer is actually an outgrowth of Paul's praise to God in verses 3 to 14. That, which is what we preached on the last three weeks, this eulogy, a praise to God for who he is and what he's done, and all the series of blessings that he enumerates, that he lists for us as believers. So this praise, this Thanksgiving this morning that we're going to study, comes out of those blessings, comes out of this eulogy of God. They just finished praising God for all the things he's done to them, for them. Kind of like we this morning just finished singing to God about all the things he's done for us, and now now we're going to get into his word, and we're 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 going to give him thanks. We're going to pray. And God wants us to do the very same thing this morning in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. So let me do this. I'm going to go ahead and pray before I read that because I want to let you know about one more prayer request. Uh, Our dear friends, Cal and Debbie Beisner, will be flying to Uganda in just, uh, I think, next Saturday. They will be there, I believe, until March 5th. Is that correct? And so, um, you know, Cal and Debbie are members, uh, their children, AJ and Grace, members, they're, they're, they're godly family. Uh, you know, if you get World Magazine, Cal's in World Magazine, all right? I saw his picture in World Magazine. It was a small picture, but he was in World Magazine. <laughs> Trust me, none of us will even have a small picture in World Magazine, <laughs> unless it's the most wanted page or something, I don't know. Um, and he, he doesn't want me to do this, but that's okay. I'm going to violate his request here. Because I mean, he's, he's, he's a godly man who is a learned theologian, and he's such a humble guy. And he and his wife, they're just a delight. So we love you, Cal and Debbie. I share this with folks because we love you. And, we, and when we pray for you, we want to pray. He's a man that God is using because God has chosen to use him for this. He would tell you he's no better than we are. God's just using him. God's talented him in certain ways to be a voice nationally and even internationally for the gospel. In some areas where you have to think about the implications of the gospel when it comes to things like, for example, the whole green movement and, and what, what does that mean and, and, and the whole sort of worshiping the earth kind of neo-paganism that we see floating around and, and the implications of the gospel in economics, which I believe 
is one of his degrees is in. And, and the implications of the gospel and how we teach people how to work and how to think about life and how we steward the earth and how we do Genesis 1.26 when God says, come, take dominion over the earth under me. And, and God is still serious about that. We need to care for the earth, but we need to do it biblically. And he's writing books and he's traveling. So you know what? This morning I'm going to pray. I'm going to preach on a prayer that talks about principalities and powers and and. and, and rulers in the air and ephesians definitely talks about them chapter six he tells you our battle is not against flesh and blood so we need to pray for god's protection for them see that's where i'm going to with all this and so i want you to pray with understanding they're part of us we're not sending them out so to speak financially or anything like that it's not like our idea that they're doing but we're sending them out because they're part of us They're serving a greater mission in Uganda. So let's bow our heads together and pray to God our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, the ruler of all creation over those powers and principalities and demons and forces. So Father, we come to you who rule and reign this universe. We come to you, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you've enthroned who you raised from the dead and set him. You set the name of Jesus far above every name and power and principality. And we pray to you with confidence as Debbie and Cal will be forging into the darkness, will be flying into a place where the darkness is probably a little more seen than in our places. Lord, protect them. Lord, give them traveling mercies. Lord, continue to heal his back. Lord, in the sciatic nerve, continue to, to bless him, his, his mind, his heart. Keep them, keep their children and their grandchildren, Lord God, that this man might be a fruitful instrument in your hands, a voice to declare the gospel and all its implications for life. Lord, just give him joy what he will be doing. And bless those he will be visiting. And Father, we pray you bring them back to us safely. Keep their children while they're gone, in Jesus' name. And Lord, pray your anointing as I preach this passage. Pray your blessings as we celebrate 15 years this afternoon. It is all from you, it is through you, and the glory is exclusively back to you, Lord. To you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, lest I forget, let's read the text. Best part of the whole morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Thanksgiving and prayer is the subtitle, not anointed, by the way, not inspired by the Spirit, but in my Bible it says thanksgiving and prayer. It's accurate. Verse 15, this is now Scripture. God's Scripture, God's Word. Pay attention. May the Spirit illuminate it, open it up to you this morning. May your heart sing and be thrilled by these words. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now remember, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which 
He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable, immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? Notice, notice how that pronoun changed. He's going, you, 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 you. And now all of a sudden he realized, man, I need some of this. Us, us. The apostle writing here about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in prison, he, he just launches in verse 19 to say, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all these rules and authority and power and dominions and above every name that is named. And not only in this age, but in the one to come. It's pretty comprehensive. Verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. That's us. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we have in verses 15 to 16a, Paul giving extravagant, wild, crazy thanksgiving to God for these believers who were his friends. And then in verses 16b through 23, he launches into a prayer for his friends. I mean, as I was watching this presentation, I was thinking, well, you know, this is our anniversary as a church. And and what it caused me to think about was our anniversary as a married couple uh, two years ago or a year and a half ago in August of 2010, we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. And so my wife said, you know, Al, I want to go back to Michigan. I miss Michigan. I miss the big tall trees and the, the forest and the lakes and, the, and, the, and just the beauty of the flowers. And she doesn't miss the freezing temperatures and the snow and ice, but she misses the other. And I say, you know, honey, August, let's go to upper, the upper peninsula of Michigan. It's probably a little cooler there than Miami, Florida in August. So we scheduled this trip and we planned it. And we, we put a lot of time and effort and, and money into it. We went to a place called Mackinac Island. Mackinac Island, which is on the Upper Peninsula. Lake Huron would be to its east, Lake Michigan to its west. But, of course, you knew that, right? And um, if, you've ever seen, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Somewhere in Time, an old movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeves and Jane Seymour, uh, much of the movie occurred on Mackinac Island at a place called the Grand Hotel, which is a beautiful, beautiful hotel beautiful porch area with rocking chairs overlooking Lake Huron on the left and Michigan on the right, cool breezes, Mackinac Island. You can't drive there. You have to take a ferry across to it, bicycles and horse-drawn carriages. So it's quiet. We got a little bed and breakfast in Mackinac Island, and we had an incredible time. And as a matter of fact, thank you, church, because back then, a year and a half ago, the church, your your 25th anniversary gift to us was a a five-course meal uh, at, the, at the Grand Hotel. You have to dress up in formal attire, and it was so cool. And, and what a celebration indeed for us as a couple. 25 years of God's kindness to me and giving me the most godly, beautiful, graceful, kind, wise, and courageous woman of faith that he could ever give me. And it's right. 
And it's right for me to celebrate that and make a big deal about it on the 25th. And it's right for us today, on our 15th anniversary as a church, as well to celebrate God's goodness, to give thanks to God for what he has done, starting with what he has done in you and what he has done in those around us. And, and it gets me back to this presentation we saw. By the way, thanks, Matt and Roxanne Toledo. Thank you for that presentation. That was way cool. And I know many people worked in getting photos to you. Thank you. And it's right to give thanks. And it's right for us to look at those, those people. In fact, look around the room right now. Take a moment to give thanks to God for the people that are here, the people we saw in those photos. I wept because some of them are no longer here. Either they were moved because of employment or many of them, and some of the dearest ones there, are meeting right now about you know, 15, 20 miles south of us in the new church plant. And it's right to take time to give thanks in a special way for our 15 years together. But actually... Actually, giving thanks for one another isn't just something we do every 15 years. This text tells us it's something we should do daily. Or as as Paul says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks. I do not cease to give thanks. And, And so Paul is saying here that giving ceaseless thanks is what he does as he's seated in prison. And a funny thing happened. As he gives ceaseless thanks, guess what it produces? Ceaseless prayer. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. You you can now fit in. And I don't cease to give thanks remembering you in my prayers. So we're going to get into this prayer. But here's the point. Here's, I think, the main point of this text. You know, this is the way I preach, guys. I I like to kind of see where we're going. I kind of like to tell you, hey, you know, this is what I'm going to tell you, and then tell you, and then at the end tell you, this is what I told you. Yeah, maybe I'm just dumb. This is, that's the way I learn, okay? These guys that weave these intricate stories and, you know, where they're going, and they kind of keep it a secret at the end. They pop it out. And, oh, that makes all sense. First of all, I'm not smart enough to preach that way. I would mess the story up. Yeah, I'd leave you guys like in, you know, Opelika somewhere, or Hylia or Kendall, you know, and then we're all like in Miami Lakes. Secondly, it's not the way I like it. I always get frustrated with that. I was like, just tell me what you're going to tell me. Okay, that's what you're going to tell me? All right, prove it to me. All right. Okay, remind me what you just told me. And then, you know, I can go home and forget it in the next 30 minutes. But anyway, so here's what I think this text is saying. And it's the propositional statement that hopefully will appear magically on these screens. Ceaseless thanksgiving produces ceaseless prayer to God for one another. There it is. Ceaseless thanksgiving produces ceaseless prayer to God for one another. So, so let's get into this, okay? Let's, t- let's look at the ceaseless thanksgiving first, and then the, the bulk of the sermon will be, what about this ceaseless prayer? What does it look like? What are we praying for? So let's look at the ceaseless thanksgiving first, and that's point number one. Give thanks to God for one another. This is verses 15 and 16a. Look at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, comma. So we'll end there for that section. So the main idea, I think, here is I don't quit giving thanks for you. And what do I give thanks for? Remember, Paul's in prison. So what's Paul giving thanks for? We see where it says, for this reason. I believe, 
and many other commentators would believe, that he's pointing back to verses 3 to 14. He's pointing back to the eulogy. And he's saying, listen, as I think about you guys, I give thanks to God, very important point here, for what he initiated, what he's doing in you. It starts with God. Every face you saw on this screen, look around, every face you see next to you, the first thing you can say is, God is good, God is kind. God did something apart from us deserving it. Remember that eulogy? Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. But he didn't just choose us, he chose us to be holy and blameless. He chose us to be his people. And then he made it personal. He said, I'm going to adopt you. And then I'm going to seal you by my spirit. And as he thought about that, He just starts giving thanks to God for these people. And then he starts seeing faces pop in front of his his mind, just like we did. And then it goes on. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So he's hearing of their faith in the Lord Jesus. So God initiated something, awesome things. Read verses 3 to 14. And then God's people, having been acted upon by God, then respond to God. And they began to love one another. They began to do these deeds. They began to to be the church. And as the church, Paul thanks God for them. And it's that thanksgiving that then produces the prayer. So here, let let me encourage you in something. Do you have a hard time praying for people? Do you have a hard time praying for me? I'm being a little mischievous here. Just thank God for me every day. <laughs> okay, Al, it's going to be by faith here. <laughs> but, but what are we thanking God for? What we see with our physical eyes? Yes. But much more what you see with your spiritual eyes. Because trust me, guys, when we read this book further, he's going to talk to these same people whom he said are holy and blameless and saints, and he's going to say, stop being sexually immoral and use pretty graphic language. Stop stealing from each other. Stop lying to each other. So who's the main actor here? God. So God, you're doing this to this people. You took a bunch of losers who deserve your wrath, and you called them before the foundation of the world, and then you adopted them as your family. Then you sealed them by your spirit. And I thank you for them. And I thank, you for, I thank you for doing this. And then I thank you for them. And I start thanking you for this person. And right now he doesn't look maybe as holy as he's going to look. She doesn't look as kind and gentle as she's going to look. But I see it. I see it by faith. And I thank you for that. And what you'll find is that will produce prayer in your heart toward that person. I think that's, that's a good takeaway on this first point. If you have trouble praying, start thanking and be specific. Okay, Al, it's going to be hard to think of anything I'm thankful for in some people. Fine, but it's there. We're just not wired to find it. <laughs> we're, we're wired to find all the things that are wrong. It's called the fall, guys. It's called cynicism. It's called pride. It's called self-righteousness. It's called many, many, it has many names. But to walk in a room and immediately see all the good things, all the right things. No, no. We walk in the room and see the one or two things that we don't like. And then we spend the whole day talking about those one or two things. (laughs) Okay.
But we're different now. We're different now. And so I look for, oh, thank you. Lord, let me think about my child. Maybe right now they're not where I want them to be. Maybe right now they're even causing me grief. But let me think about the things I'm thankful for about them. And let me start thanking you. And what you'll find is that will produce prayer for them. Now, the question is, what does that prayer look like? All right, let's, look at, let's start looking at the prayer. Let's go to 16b. By the way, did I tell you that 15, verses 15 to 23 are one big, long sentence? Did I tell you that seminary professors use this sentence along with the previous one to torment their students? That's right. That's right. You just heard them back there. Amen, right? Uh, did I tell you that it has 169 words? So we just finished preaching verses 3 to 14. That was 202 words, one sentence. Now, in the English, they've got punctuation here because we just couldn't handle it, right? But in the Greek, you can do that, uh, and it's, it's, it's wonderful. So this is one big sentence we're looking at here. And so the first part here we're going to look at, what's the prayer all about? Look at 16b. Remembering you in my prayers. All right, got that. 17. That, so here we go. Here's the prayer. That... The Lord, excuse me, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So what what he's asking for on these folks is this. Lord, show them more and more who you are and what you have done for them. Give them, give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I believe that when it says the spirit of wisdom and revelation there, I believe he's actually talking about this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is, and this is what I would say when I prayed for you guys last night as I was preparing this sermon. Oh, Father, you who sent the Son to redeem us, would you tomorrow morning pour out your spirit, not just to seal us, but to illuminate, to teach us. That's what he's saying. He's praying for them. Show them the word. I can preach the word. I can try to make sense of the word. I can try to be compelling. I can try to have good illustrations. I'm going to try to do all that. But if the spirit of God doesn't come and take this word and show it to you, it's still no avail. So we're to pray that for one another. We're to be a church that loves the word. We're to be a church that's in the Word. We're to be a church that says, don't tell me what tradition says. Don't tell me what 15 years of Palm Vista says. Don't tell me what sovereign grace says. Don't tell me what you think. Don't tell me how you parent, how you have your marriage. Don't tell me, no, tell me what the Bible says. And Spirit of God, illumine the Bible. Open it up to me because I'm a dense guy. Help me understand it. And then help me practice it. Pray that for one another. Pray that for your pastor, (laughs) that he could preach this in a way with some sense of, oh, that's what he's saying. (laughs) Pray, pray, pray. In the Mora home group several weeks ago, we shared prayer requests. I forgot how long it was ago. And uh, and, and, and it was was really good. So over the next few weeks, uh, Sergio would lead us in, in praying for one another. And remembering in prayer one another. And carrying each other's burdens. I won't share them now because they were shared in a home group level. So, you know, I don't want to, whatever. I mean, you know, but there were some intense prayers. There were tears when people were sharing. Why? Because we're we're relating to one another. I want to know you. I want to know your burden. But what he's saying here is, Father, send me the Spirit so I know you and your burden. 
See, see, God wants us to, it's personal with God. He adopted us. You see that? And the Spirit is the one, it, and the Bible calls it the Spirit of adoption. It's the Holy Spirit comes and just does this thing where we want to know God and start knowing God and understand God, read His Word and understand it, and, and this relationship builds. Pray that for one another. No time to go into this, but you pray it to the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's just cementing the fact that all these blessings, all these prayers, they're in Christ. You pray in Jesus' name. That's the way we're taught to pray. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see the Trinity there? One God. So he's, he's God the Father. Excuse me, excuse me. He's um, yeah, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of glory. Now, the Father of glory, that's an interesting title for God. I believe, I think, I think it's tying together some themes, these two massive sentences, the 202-word sentence from 3 to 14 and the 169-word sentence from 15 to 23. There's this, there's this theme of to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Oh, God, this is your glory. You call your people, they're your inheritance, but it's to the praise of your glory. But it's this in Christ theology. We pray in Jesus' name. And, and, and we pray that the eyes of our heart, look at that in verse 17. Gives you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So it's personal. It's not just a God, a theology, a doctrine, a truth. It's God personally. I love him. He loves me. He's adopted me. Spirit of God, spirit of adoption. Romans tells us that. Do your work in us. You know, sometimes we just feel like orphans, don't we? We, we feel like we have no mother or father. We, we feel abandoned. It's not true. It's part of the attack of the enemy. But it's these prayers that help us feel, he's my father and he loves me. Now look at 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. So now what we're doing is this whole idea of the Spirit of God comes and He's going to illumine something. He's going to illumine a relationship with God. He's going to illumine now some truth. Now here are the things we should be praying for. First one. Probably the next screen will give everything that you need for life and godliness. There we go. First one. We're going to just stay on the screen. All right. So we got three things here we're going to be praying for. All right. Let me tell you where we're going. Then we'll go there, and then I'll tell you where we went. So we're going to pray for the hope of our calling. What is that all about? We're going to pray for the glory of being God's inheritance. Talked about that a little bit last week. We'll talk a little more about it. And we're going to pray about the power of Christ working in us. And that third one, man, that's the one that I need this morning. I think that's the one where Paul went from a second-person plural pronoun, you, or as our southern friends would say, y'all, to a first-person plural, we. He included himself on that one because he need the power. I need the power. You need the power. So here are the three things. Hope of our calling in Christ. Now let's, let's, let's go down, jump down into that. Verse 18b. What is the hope to which he has called you? Now, think about it for a moment. Is this the hope... Um, that's based on something that I've done? Or is it the hope based on what God has done? And it's so important now. Because see, 
when, when, when I heard a couple of those prayer requests at the Mora household, um, th- there was one that was very intense. It's about parenting. I, re- I remember that because I'm, I'm a father and, and, I, and I have a son at home and, and I have a daughter at home and a son at home and two daughters that are married. And it, and, and, and it grabbed my heart. It grabbed my heart. And, and I, I, I'm praying for this individual. But, but what... What, what he's saying to pray for that person, get this, because if I remember correctly, they were praying for some wisdom issues and praying for this child, and, and it's okay to do that. But what Paul would say is, no, pray for that person that they would understand the hope to which they've been called by God. Do you see that? It's a, it's a little, it's, it's, up a, it's, it's up a level. It's from, Lord, I need a new car. Or, Lord, I need money to repair the car of mine. It just broke. Or, Lord, there's a leak in the roof. Or, Lord, my child's not obeying. How do I make them obey? Uh, there's, th- these are not wrong prayers. But notice where Paul goes. Paul says, no, no, pray that they understand the hope of their calling. Okay, so where do I go to understand the hope of their calling? Well, you go back to 3 through 14. You go back to things like, he called me before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. And so if I'm praying for a child that maybe is not being obedient and, and, and I'm believing God that, that they're called, they've, they've, they've shown evidences of, of, of conversion in their life. So I'm praying, Lord, Lord, reveal to my child the hope of their calling, that they were called to be holy and blessed. Reveal it to me so I would be encouraged. And then look at verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So Al, I'm going to pray for Al who just gave this prayer request that he's going through a conflict and he just feels scattered. Hopeless. Nothing makes sense. So I can pray, Lord, everything makes sense because of you. Because God's plan was to unite all things in you. So I'm going to pray for Al. I thank you for Al. I'm going to pray for Al that you're going to unite all things in heaven and earth in Christ. And that includes Al and his little conflict. Every molecule will come into submission to Jesus Christ. We're going to see that in a moment. He's overall. Now, it may not be in Al's timetable or the way Al wanted it. But it's going to happen. So see how we're praying for one another? Let's look at another one, the second one. We're going to pray for one another to see. Now remember, how are we praying? Look at, remember verse 17. Go back there for a moment. Sorry. Yeah, 17. May he give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I believe that's, may the Holy Spirit work this in us. And then look at 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Okay, so eyes of your heart enlightened, understand, by the work of the Holy Spirit, know what? Know these three things. So the first one was hope of your calling. Second one is the glory, the glory of being God's inheritance. Now, last week we talked a lot about that. Someone would say, wait a second. You mean the glory of God's inheritance? No, I don't. I think scripture means the glory of being God's inheritance. Let me explain. It's one thing to get an inheritance from God. That's good. That's good. That's good. It's better to be God's inheritance. Because if you are God's inheritance, you both get all that God has, plus you get God's affection, his love, his compassion. You are so valuable to him. You're his precious possession, his holy people, his adopted sons and daughters. And he paid to get you. Listen to last week's sermon. 
Don't have time to go into this one, but this one's good. This one's got legs. This one's got legs when you're beat up, beat down. You blew it. You knew you blew it. And you blew it, and everybody's mad at you that you blew it. And then, you know, I mean, you know, it's just one of those days, right? You know, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, you know. When the, man, I got some serious dog bites and bee stings this last week. Some big old chunks out of various parts of my body. And, uh. I am God's inheritance. Someone goes, poor God. (laughs) What does he get out of that one? Well, that's right. See, that's the way, now you're thinking rightly. He gets nothing. Nothing. If I'm a greedy guy and I'm looking for my inheritance, I'm going to get something. Usually something I didn't work for and certainly not something that I paid for. No one goes and pays for an inheritance. It just doesn't make sense. God chose you. And when he chose you, he said, I know I'm going to have to buy you. And then I'm going to buy you, last week's message, which is the most precious thing I have, which is the blood of Christ. I'm going to give my body, I'm going to give my blood to buy you. You are worth nothing. But I love you. Because I love you. And I give the most precious thing to you. You are so valuable to me. Not because you have any intrinsic value. Because I choose you. That helps me on a week like this. I feel like such a loser. What value do I have? Oh God, open Al's eyes to see that he's your inheritance. Just two scriptures to help you get some biblical theology on this. Just listen to Deuteronomy 9.29. I think I read this last week. Deuteronomy 9.29. It's, just, it's one of those passages. It just, it just sings. This is biblical theology that just sings. Deuteronomy 9.29 says, For they are your people, the speaking of Israel now, for they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. He's talking about the exodus there. But your people, your heritage. And then another one came to me all the way in the New Testament. So let's connect Deuteronomy 9, 29 with Titus 2. They're connected, trust me. They are. But listen to Titus 2, 11 to 14. Similar language, similar language. But New Testament, greater illumination by the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is the one that inspired the writing of this word, but Titus 2.11, listen. For, for the grace of God has appeared, that's Jesus, bringing salvation to all people. That's not every person, all kinds of people, no longer just the Jews, but all people. Training us. Ah, there's the first person plural pronoun. Training us. So this is what the grace of God does. This is what Jesus does. He trains us. What? to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Oh, Lord, help. We need training. We need training. We need training. You called us to be holy and blameless from the foundation of the world, but I look in the mirror. I don't look very holy. I don't look very blameless. Help me, God. Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look, here's 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. 
That's Ephesians. That's the, that's the message that we preached two weeks ago. The Father adopts us. The Son redeems us by His blood. The Spirit seals us. Who gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. Why? Just so we get into heaven free? No. But to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. You're my inheritance. And I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to pay the most biggest price for you. And you're going to be mine. Not to rule you in an evil way, but to love you and care for you and lead you so you'd be pure and blessed. And I would be glorified. Isn't that beautiful? I need you to pray for me to see that on a Wednesday morning or a Thursday afternoon. And you need me to pray for you to see that stuck in traffic or in a conflict. And the third thing. The third thing. God says, pray Pray for one another that, you, that, that the Spirit of God would come and their eyes of their heart would be enlightened and they would see the power of Christ working in us. The power of Christ working in us. This is, this is a call for us to see that as we engage in spiritual warfare, don't get me started on war metaphors, okay? Don't get me started here. But as we engage in spiritual warfare, which Paul actually introduces here by the Holy Spirit, as we run to the battle, as we get shields on and draw swords, and I'm loving that, I'm hearing the clash of swords and shields and helmets and boots, and, and this is chapter 6. And, and, we, and as that happens, what God wants to say to us is my power is sufficient. It's more than sufficient. Now remember, he's talking to a people who grew up under Santeria on steroids all their life. If you're not Hispanic, don't know what Santeria is, voodoo, whatever you want to call it. When, when, when animist religions meet Catholicism in the Caribbean, they call it different things. They're people that have lived all their life afraid of fate of the gods, of evils, forces, and spirits flying around. And Paul doesn't say, ah, come on, man. What's wrong with you guys? That stuff doesn't exist. Oh, no, 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 no. But nor does he say be afraid of it and talk about it all the time and think that there's some dualism, that this forces of darkness are equally powerful with the forces of light. You know, may the force be with you. Luke, Luke. Use the force. You know, it's none of that. It's, it's, it's God reigns over all. Jesus has been exalted. We're going to see that in a moment. This power of God raised Jesus from the dead and, 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 and seated him on his right hand and enthroned him over all the powers. And then he lists them. He lists them. See, this, th- this is God saying, This is God saying, nothing can happen to you unless I allow it. Now, that that introduces another whole set of questions for God. Why did you allow that? But it should put to bed the the question of, I'm afraid something's going to happen to me. Well, nothing can happen to you that your loving Heavenly Father won't allow. That's what this says. It's the power to engage in spiritual warfare. It's the empower to to share divine glory. And now, for the rest of this section, the rest of the sentence, he's going to explain to you that power. He's going to explain to you that power. So let's drop into verse um, 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So this is certainly... Christians, 
Notice it's first person plural, us. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ. So this is that in Christ theology. This power is not gained through some magic. It's not gained through manipulating God. This power is gained simply because it's in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you have this power. And you're in Christ because God put you in Christ. So it's yours, Ephesians. Superstitious Ephesians who fear demons and rulers and things that go bump in the night. And it's yours, 21st century Miami folks who may not fear some of the more strange and bizarre pagan gods and demons, but we certainly fear the unknown. We certainly fear, is God in control? We certainly shake our fist at him sometimes and say, how could you allow this? Oh, I am in control. And look at this power. How does he define the power of God? You want to define the power of God? Here's how you define the power of God. That he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead. That's the power of God. That's the power of God I talked to Tim Kelso about last night when he called me and said, my mom died. And we both agreed, oh, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death is an enemy. One day it will be defeated forever. That's called the glorification of the saints. When Christ comes back, no more death. We'll get new bodies. But between now and then, we have a down payment. We have the, 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 the down payment of the Spirit. We have, we have Jesus who's been raised from the dead, and the Spirit illuminates my mind. This says, I'm not going to fear death. And, and death has visited our friends this week. Got back Friday night, powered my phone back on at the Miami International Airport, waiting for my wife to pick me up. Text message from my dear friend Bill Arthur and Larry Hill. Bill and Larry sat right there about six months ago. And Bill and Larry, dear friends, Bill and his wife, Julie, were the first ones that knew Desi and I were engaged. Right after I asked her to marry me, we, we had already had planned dinner over at their house the next day, and we, we told them. And Larry and his wife, Joy, are dear friends. And Joy sang like an angel. She was a beautiful woman. I think she was Miss Mississippi in her day, so she'd be our age. Um, beautiful voice. And Joy died Friday. She died of, of horrible cancer. Like I said, tall, slender, just a beautiful woman. He said, Al, she, I couldn't even recognize her. The cancer decimated her body. She died in her sleep. He said, I woke up. I spoke to him last night. I woke up, Al, went out to get my coffee. I love Larry. You know, Larry, he, hey, Pino. <laughs> what you doing, Pino? He's from Mississippi. Speaks perfect Spanish with a Mississippi accent. It's hilarious. He was a missionary in Mexico for many years. And he just, I, on the phone, he just said, last night, he said, you know, he said, Pino, I, I went out to get my coffee. And she's, she had been sleeping in the, in the chair in the living room because her body was racked with pain, her legs filled with water, liquid. And he says, I just went over and I, I realized she was gone. He said, God is so good. He took her in her, in her, in her sleep. And he said to me, He's got three daughters about the same age as our daughters, and our daughters were friends back, back when we were there. And he said, we're strong in this, Al. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And uh, we, we know that. And Tim was equally as strong. In fact, we're going to fly out to Dallas. You're going to be praying for us for the funeral on Wednesday. Fly out Wednesday morning, come back Thursday. Um, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
Listen, listen. This speaks this point. He lives. He lives. Life over death. But it also speaks of, 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 of forgiveness. Remember, we're talking about redeemed. Just, just listen to this. Listen, listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. Interesting passage here. 1 Corinthians 15, why the resurrection? Why define power as the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Because of the fact that he called us to be holy and blameless. And to do that, he had to die for our sins and his blood covers our sins, which we celebrated last week in communion. But listen to this. The resurrection is key, key, key. Because it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says the following. And if Christ has not been raised... Your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. The greatest power, the greatest healing anybody can ever have is forgiveness of their sins. Forgiveness of their sins is only possible when the, when the penalty, the penalty of sin, the power of sin is broken, the power of sin is death. Jesus broke it. The penalty of sin is hell and judgment and the wrath of God, and Jesus took it. So the power I need on a bad day, a good day, is that Jesus rose from the dead. Next, and this is the one where we get into the things that go bump in the night. (laughs) And for the Ephesians, it was very real, very superstitious. That he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's the ascension. Do you see the gospel here? It's the ascension. But let's not stop there. Verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Why did he add all that? Because he's preaching, he's writing to a people who are Christians that are coming right out of paganism and they're tempted to be afraid. They're tempted of people putting curses on them. They're tempted. I mean, hey man, we live in Miami, okay? Like, don't look at me so religiously. I'm sure there's been a few dead chickens in your backyard. You've driven by a canal and seen a couple of bags filled with you know, chicken remains. If you're Anglo and don't know what I'm talking about, they, they do bad things to the chickens and put the curses on the chickens and bag them and throw them, okay? You know, has any, any of you ever been to a curandero or a curandera? I have as a little kid. Healer. Not a faith healer, <laughs> but a, the other kind of faith. Uh, we, we, especially in South Florida, we're getting, we get closer to the woo zone, right? Um, so, but these people lived in the woo zone. That's all they had. And they were freaked out by that. And Paul is saying, Jesus rose from the dead and the Father, the creator of the universe, seated him at the right hand. And by the way, he's over, and I'm not going to go into this, but all these names he has, ruler, authority, power, dominion. And then he just goes, every name. Listen, there are demons. Listen, they do attack. And you need to be aware of that, but you don't need to be afraid of that. God will allow them. They don't attack unilaterally. God's in control, right? Opens up a whole other set of questions, but I prefer those questions to a dualistic question. Gee, I hope God wins this battle. This isn't like this big basketball game in the sky. Hopefully our team wins. LeBron can, you know, play well in the fourth quarter this time. No, it's, it's God wins every time. Jesus has won. Remember Corey had that illustration from a couple of weeks ago of D-Day. If you know your history, World War II, we land in Normandy in the coast of France. D-Day, the battle was really, the war was going to be won, but it was about a year until V-Day, Victory Day. Jesus came. The cross is is the D-Day. The cross, he put a show of of all these forces and principalities openly. Colossians 2 says that. 
But the day he comes back is the V-Day. That's the final day when everybody gets put in their place. Everybody. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning and you don't know Christ, I guess that was a little redundant, huh? If you don't know Christ, today is your day of salvation. Now. Because there's a day coming. I don't know when it is. And that's it. All, all accounts will be settled. Yeah, kind of like the Godfather. Today, Corleone family settles all accounts. That usually means a lot of dead bodies on the ground. So, so it's now's the day of salvation. Now. But the one who settles the accounts is God. And Jesus has ascended over all those evil forces. So don't be afraid. And I say to you this morning, don't be afraid. What can man do to you? I mean, even if it's a person, today it's maybe not so much demons and spirits, but it's people. What can they do to you? God has a plan for your life. Everything will be united in Christ. No man can frustrate that. Period. And that's what he's saying here. And the next one. By the way, this is, this is God saying he reigns. No time to get into the one I just finished talking about, uh, but, but Psalm 110 Verse 1 is a great Old Testament psalm that's the most, I think, the most quoted passage in the New Testament. Psalm 110, verse 1, that talks about Jesus reigning. Next, i got to move on. Okay, verse 20. Where are we? Right, 21. 22. And he put all things under his feet. All right, he put all things under his feet. So we're still talking about the power of Christ working in us. This, This is a point that I won't be able to elaborate on. So I'll give you two scriptures. I'll give you the last point, then we'll pray. Um, Write down Genesis 1.26. Genesis 1.26. Write down Psalm 8. And then, if I remember correctly, which I never do, in Hebrews, they all come together in this glorious Hebrews 2... 2, 2, 2. Yeah, 2... 5 through 13. Okay? Ah, this is good. This is good theology, man. This is cool. Genesis 1.26, God says, man in paradise, I'm going to have him. I said I wasn't going to explain this, didn't I? Too bad. Uh, Man in paradise, you're going to rule underneath my authority. Everything's going to be under your feet. Rule the earth. Cal's trying to figure out how to do that in a fallen world without, you know, being pagan about it. Thanks, Cal. Uh, but then the fall comes, right? Sin comes. Man blows it. So you go to, to, to Psalm, and Psalm again, Psalm 8, talks about this, this dominion, this ruling over thing. But how are we going to do it? We've lost the glory. We've lost the ability to rule rightly under God. And then Jesus comes. And in Hebrews 2, go read it. Jesus is going to restore the glory that we had by dying on the cross. In fact, in Hebrews 2... Um, the writer there quotes Psalm 8, Hebrews 2, 5 through 13. Go, go look in there. This is great biblical theology. You can trace these truths through the Bible. Same God all the way through, fulfilled in Christ, begun in Genesis. And, and, he, and he says, I, I am going to crown him with glory. We lost the crown of glory when we sinned. Jesus came to win the crown of glory back. In his death and resurrection, life, death, resurrection, ascension. So that's what that's all about. And then the last one, God's power seen in appointing Jesus as the head of all things, which is his body, excuse me, 22. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What does that mean? That means that God's power working in us is important to understand because the church is important to God. Jesus isn't just like a... Uh, his presence on earth is mediated, is mitigated, is communicated through the body, the church, and he's the head of that body. So he's going to give us the power to be holy, to be blameless, to be who we are, to do the things he's called us to do. We'll see that next week and the week after. Because we're his body. We're the ones through whom he exercises that dominion. And it's not a political dominion. It's the gospel winning the hearts of men. And he's in charge. But the church is important. That means that God looks at Palm Vista today. And God is celebrating the 15th anniversary of Palm Vista. Let's pray. Worship, uh, yeah, worship team, come on up. Well, Lord, it's been... It's been fun preaching this today. I, I hope and pray that all the rabbit tra- trails did not obscure the truths in this passage. That as we, as we think about what you've done, we break into thanksgiving. And as we think about those for whom you've done it, beginning with ourselves and the folks sitting, sitting around us in Sovereign Grace Church Miami down in Westchester this morning, we break out into thanksgiving for them. And as we break out into thanksgiving for them and for us, for what you have done, and remember that you, you chose us to be holy and blameless, you adopted us, you, you, you sealed us with your spirit, then it would just produce prayer. We'd be a praying church. Thank you for the prayer meetings that took place last week. Many people came up and said, we were praying for you in Cuba, Al. May we, may we have another one this Wednesday. That would not be inappropriate at all. If by your spirit you led those leaders, if they wanted to, to just go through this prayer. Just pray, man. Just get on our faces and pray. Pray for our city. Pray for the Bisoners. Pray for the church in Cuba. Pray for the gospel to go forth. Pray for Sovereign Grace Church Miami. And as we pray, Lord, may you open our eyes to the hope that you've given us, to the glory of being your inheritance. You chose us to be your inheritance and to the power that you work in us in Christ. And we, may we sing along with my good friend Wally Joyner who wrote this song, I can't stop, can't stop wondering, I can't stop contemplating, I can't stop thinking more and more of him. May that be our testimony. Ceaseless thanksgiving produces ceaseless prayer to God for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand. We have to sing this song to end. It's written by Wally Joyner, who's now part of the Sovereign Grace Church Miami, along with Jeannie. Their daughter is now playing the piano, so what a godly family and a godly heritage. Their son has been playing the bass. Um, How can we thank the Joyners enough? But let's think about what God has done, not just in the Joyners, but in many of us, and let let it elicit thanksgiving and prayer. Let's sing it, guys. I can't stop. My friends, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. And may the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. In the name of our Father who's adopted us and 
And His Son, our Lord Jesus, who's redeemed us. And the Spirit, God, the Spirit who sealed us with the Spirit of adoption. You're safe under the wings of the Most High in the secret place of the Almighty. Amen and amen.